Welcome to a new episode of the Big Idea Big Moves podcast. The new the voice new of voice success. success. We all want to feel successful and fulfilled in our lives, but that can be a bumpy road. Through the experiences, journeys and advice of our guests here on Big Idea Big Moves, we will help you get a jump start on experiencing and cultivating whole life success. Be ready to take notes. Every episode has action items that you can apply to your own life right away. Okay, let's get this started. I will now pass you over to the host of Big Idea Big Moves, Jamie Allison. Hi again, everybody. I'm Jamie Allison, and this is the Big Idea Big Moves podcast. This is the destination for high performers. We talk to people from different genres, different niches, just people doing really cool things in their space, um, find out a bit about those journeys and some of the things that they're doing, and hopefully translate some of that into our own lives as well. So we talk to CEOs, we talk to scientists, we talk to lots of athletes, just people doing really cool things that we can hopefully take advantage of some of the things that they've done and, and again, um, implement them into what what we're doing as well. Just before we jump into today's uh, interview, just wanted to say that uh, today's episode is brought to you by High Sports. Um, I, I went out to their spot uh, relatively recently. It's in Durham um, and uh, a great pickleball facility. If, if you haven't tried it, definitely try it in the GTA uh, and you can uh, become a member and, and book with uh, Alex out there at uh, highsports.ca. Um, and then you can also check out one of our other sponsors, Epitome Sportswear. Um, they have a new pickleball line that could go with that as well. And you can find all of that in our Instagram profile. If you click through, um, there are some savings and things like that uh, that you can get through the podcast as well. So definitely uh, check that out. Um, and today, I'm, I'm really excited to be able to talk to our guest today. Uh, Dr. Dave Williams is an astronaut, an aquanaut, uh, pilot, ER doctor, scientist, best-selling author. I mean, the list goes on, professional speaker, and, and was a hospital CEO as well. Um, he's a veteran of two space flights and has logged over 687 hours in space, including three spacewalks. He's a member of the Canadian Aviation Hall of Fame. He's received five honorary degrees, numerous other awards, and uh, recently was appointed to the Order of Canada as well. Um, his memoir, Defying Limits, was an instant bestseller when it came out. He's written four books for children. He's also also written a book um, about leadership moments from NASA, which I know we'll we'll talk a bit about today. And he has a new book as well that hopefully we can we can venture into. But um, uh, obviously, lots there and and probably lots going on in your day today, Doctor Williams. So first of all, thank you for taking time out to, to chat with us today. Really appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much, Jamie, for having me on the show. I'm really excited about sharing some of these uh, lessons that we've learned exploring the final frontiers of space. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, lots of people will be thinking right away, wow, you know, this is amazing. I mean, they they see if, if they're watching this on video, they'll see the background and, and the things that you've done in, in space. Um, you know, so many children, uh, you know, start out thinking, okay, I want to be an astronaut when when they're young. Um, maybe the first question is, is, is that, um, are, were you like that? Have you, did you always know that was something you wanted to do? Or did it evolve over time? Well, for me, it was a dream that started in May of 1961, so I'm kind of dating myself, but I watched Alan Shepard lift off to go into space on a small black and white television, probably about the size of your average laptop monitor, and uh, that just captured my imagination. I thought, that's absolutely incredible, and that's what I wanted to do, but in those days, Canada did not have an astronaut program. We were the third country in the world to send satellites into space, so my dream kind of changed from outer space to inner space, exploring the 
undersea world. And Jacques Cousteau became one of uh, my heroes and Canada's famous diving doctor, Dr. Joe McGinnis, uh, was another one of my heroes. And I followed Joe's exploits in National Geographic all the time. So it was really that decade of exploration that galvanized my passion to be able to explore. Yeah. Well, and and so, um, you know, that is kind of a, a, an amazing thing that you have have done that from, a, you know, you've, you've went to kind of the farthest reaches, I think, that we've seen on both sides of things. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about, you know, the first time that you went into space. Um, you know, everyone always wonders, what's it like the first time you kind of are able to see Earth from kind of uh, from outside of, uh, you know, what normal people would even be able to see other than in pictures? Well, as you can imagine, it's an incredible experience. It's really amazing. The night before liftoff, falling asleep, realizing that tomorrow morning I'm going to wake up on Earth and go to sleep in space. That's absolutely yeah. incredible. And then, of course, you climb into the vehicle well ahead of the launch time. You go through the final countdown checks. And then right at T0, you have roughly seven and a half million pounds of thrust, taking you from being stationary to traveling 25 times the speed of sound in eight and a half minutes. So that's eight kilometers every second. It's a ride of a lifetime. Absolutely unbelievable. And then once you get to space, you release your harness and you float gracefully, hopefully gracefully, out of your seat and you look out the window and as you see the Earth going by, you realize that this is actually a pretty small planet we live on. We orbit the planet every 90 minutes. We see a sunrise and a sunset every 45 minutes. What's remarkable is there's no borders between countries that you can see from space. And I like to say that we're really all together here in our global village, and we have to figure out how to work together to solve some of the challenges that we're facing these days. Well, and, and you've touched on it there. I think that, um, you know, you worked on the space station where, you know, there are people from different different countries that you had to work with and obviously different um, uh, different cultures, different things from that end. How did um, that shape your thoughts around um, teamwork and and how um, how you build trust as a team when when you've been obviously exposed to a team that is so kind of multi uh, multicultural? Well, you know, success in space is critically dependent upon the team that you're working with. And we do work in a, a multicultural environment with people from all sorts of different backgrounds, research backgrounds, engineering backgrounds and things. And I think one of the things that's critical is for everybody to bring their best to that opportunity. When we train astronauts, we build technical competencies, skills to be able to do all the various tasks we have to do in space. But we also build behavioral competencies, how to work together in multicultural teams how to be able to achieve success. What do you do when you make a mistake? How do you rebuild trust in these environments? And of course, when you're outside doing a spacewalk, and I've had the privilege of getting a chance to do three spacewalks, we kind of joke and say, if something goes wrong, you may have the rest of your life to solve the problem. So it sort of changes <laughs> that level of trust that you have in the other person you're outside with. Between the two of you, you have to figure it out. I think that's interesting. You talked about that. I mean, I can't imagine what it must be like to step out. And, and that first step is probably pretty intimidating, regardless of how much training you've had. But when, when you do that, I mean, you know, people are listening and probably thinking, okay, the implications of a decision like that and the accountabilities for the whole team around something like that are, are pretty weighty. Um, how, how would you say that that experience translates into um, just somebody working, uh, I mean, in a hospital where you've been in kind of that environment? How do those things translate when somebody's thinking that's just such a big thing to think about stepping into space, but that trust is so important across teams? 
You know, trust is a critical element that we have to build on a day-to-day basis, and it focuses on our own uh, competencies, our, our technical competencies to do our job. But more importantly, when when we say that we're going to do something, that we actually do it, that we're believable, that we're data-driven, and that we work together collaboratively in a team, and we build that reputation, and that reputation in part affects our trust. You know, you can find when, when you're working in an organization that has low levels of trust, simply look in your inbox at the number of BCC emails you get. And, you know, that's a great example of why are people sending BCC emails where, you know, the recipients don't know that there's this big list of other people. And generally, it's uh, a protective maneuver that people have evolved. And I think if you're working in an organization like that, you might want to rethink the level of trust in that organization. But when we work together in space, it's a really interesting environment because my definition of leadership is simply the ability to influence others. And we influence each other through our competencies. So the leadership models in space tend to be fairly distributed. And as a physician on the team, if there's a medical issue, everyone will defer to my medical judgment. For the spacewalkers, when we're outside, we will defer to the robotics operator who's running the uh, robotic arm that we're riding on or our IVA crew person who's kind of like the orchestra uh, conductor of the spacewalk. So it's working together to make sure that we optimize our probability of success. And, and you know, you you talked about it there, Dr. Williams, that it, um, you know, being able to trust people to do their jobs, I guess, and and but also to convey the message that you want. If you are that top leader, I, I mean, you've been a CEO, and and so sometimes when I'm working with CEOs, that's that's the challenge for them sometimes because they are working at a, a strategic level and and have the the larger picture. Um, how best do you, have you found, or what are some of the things that have worked for you to be able to translate that message so that the people who can do the work um, understand what's what the vision is, and and then can be trusted to get things done? Are there there things that, that you find really work from that end? There's a lot of different strategies that people have employed. You know, certainly everybody comes into work every day intending to do their best. And I think one of the important elements for CEOs and other leaders in the organization is to clearly communicate the expectations of the team members. Sometimes, as we know, the vision of the organization is not necessarily communicated effectively or the deliverables that people expect, the timelines are not communicated effectively. But more importantly, I think one of the greatest attributes of leaders is their ability to listen and to go out and and actually work with frontline team members and listen to the challenges that they're experiencing. Because sometimes from a leadership perspective, people will say, well, how come so-and-so is not performing the way we think they need to be doing that? And then you actually go work with them and you find out, well, they don't have the tools they need to be able to do the job. They're not getting the support they need, et cetera. So there's huge opportunities to be able to learn simply by listening to individuals at a senior level and getting feedback from the team team members across the board. From the, that perspective in space, you know, working together in a high-performing team, we will generally say before any critical activity, if anybody sees anything you don't like at any point in time, just let us know. We're going to pause. We'll solve the problem together, and then we'll move on. And it's trying to bring out the best in everyone to make sure that we're contributing to mitigate the probability of error, optimize success, and getting the result that we want. 
Now, I know you talk a lot in your book, um, I, I think, uh, leadership moments from, from NASA. There was even an evolution there, I think, about how transparent everyone was being and some of the things, you know, can you talk a bit about that, about how there was almost a learning to get to the point where there is that heavy trust and lots of accountability and, and just what you see as some of the, the key points to, to where that is today when, when you were working with them? One of the biggest differences that I found in teams in the space program compared to teams that I've worked with in healthcare and other organizations is this concept of followership. And everybody knows what leadership is. You know, there's this big pyramid, the CEOs at the top. And I think one of the elements of leadership to understand is everyone has the ability to influence others. So it doesn't matter whether you have a position on the org chart or not. We all have an opportunity to step into leadership roles. But what's this followership all about? Followership is essentially a courageous commitment to speak up and contribute in a multicultural, uh, diverse workplace environment. And why does it take courage? Well, sometimes, you know, if you're invited to come in and brief the C-suite, you understand what I mean when it takes courage to go in there and talk to all these senior executives about a problem that may exist in an organization or a new idea that you're trying to get implemented in the organization. So that element of followership is something that's embraced in the space program. As astronauts, we actually get evaluated on our followership, whether we speak up in times when we do need to speak up and whether we're contributing to the overall success of the team. For leaders out there that are kind of putting these things in, in place, um, we always talk about kind of high performance habits and what they're doing from that end. Uh, but um, I, I thought it was really interesting when I heard you speak the first time when you talked a lot about your own um, kind of wellness plan. So not just the things that you're doing in, you know, to, to be effective in the job at the time, it's all of the other things that contribute to a leader or basically anybody in an organization to be able to perform at their best. Um, can you talk a little bit about, I know you called it, I think, uh, Astro Dave's wellness plan. Uh, just tell me a little bit about, you know, the impact of other things and how you balance those in, in your life as well as an astronaut or anywhere else. Yeah. You know, before the pandemic, there was a little bit of discussion about wellness that was out there on the internet. And certainly it resonated with some folks. But during the pandemic, there was a huge awareness of the importance of wellness and managing oneself. And I think there's a number of fundamental elements that are really uh, are not all that complex, thinking about diet and exercise and sleep and managing stress. But I think one of the elements that we might not consider enough is the importance of what we might call emotional energy positive emotional energy. And there are things that are stressors in our lives that are kind of a negative drain in our positive emotional energy. So we have to re-energize, whether that's through something like yoga, whether it's through playing music, whether it's reading a book, it varies for each of us. But thinking about our levels of emotional energy and imagine if you're going to Mars, do you want to go to Mars with somebody who says, are we there yet every day for six months on your way to Mars? I mean, really, that, that person is kind of this negative source of emotional energy. Energy, and that can affect all of us. So when we're in space working together as a team, we actually think about creating positive emotional energy in ourselves and others. But it starts from that position of wellness, which is not only managing ourselves physically, but managing ourselves spiritually and mentally and from that perspective of, mo of emotional energy as well. And, and Maybe I'll ask uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Williams, do you, how do you do that for yourself? Like, how do you, uh, uh, you know, you've done so many things. Are you a write down your goals kind of person? Are you a, a very specific goal setter like that? Or, or how, do you, how do you do that to actually figure out to make sure that you, you have things balanced in your own life? 
Yeah, I don't actually write down my goals, to be honest with you. Yeah. And on my wellness plan, I mean, I have things that I want to do from a wellness perspective, but you know, I use a day planner like everybody else, and I've got that on my sure. uh, my computer. But broadly speaking, I'm always trying to challenge myself to take on new tasks, to do things that are new. Arguably, I'm not an author by training, and now I've had a chance to write eight books. And that was primarily because I, I wanted to learn how to do that and how to be able to share stories of what it's like being in space. So no matter who, what our backgrounds are, it's up to each of us, you know, arguably we're the CEO of our own lives. It's up to each of us to come up with a plan that we have to develop our competencies, whether it's this year, I'm going to focus on my leadership skills, my team skills, or my behavioral skills or maybe learn a new language or learn how to do accounting. So there's a whole range of things that we can be continuously developing. And that's one of the things I love the most about being an astronaut. It's a continuous learning environment. You're always learning something new and different with a team of amazingly dedicated people. Yeah, well, and that brings me to, I, I was wondering, did you have very specific mentors as you went through, like going through a program like that must have been just amazing because you do get to have exposure to some of the probably the best minds in the world. But um, did you have very specific people that you followed or was it kind of a, a, a little bit from everybody? How did that work for you? We do have mentors within the astronaut corps, and then there's official uh, kind of instructors. So we have instructor astronauts, and then we have non-astronaut instructors as well. So there's a whole range of individuals that we have a chance to work with. And then within a crew, your commander also um, sets the tone for the crew, just like in a leadership team in the private sector. But within the office, each individual astronaut has personal friends that they resonate with. And those individuals, if they have a greater experience, can become a mentor for you as well. So it's an amazing journey. And, and it, from my perspective, it's this continuous journey of self-improvement. So I remember when I was the CEO of a hospital, driving an hour in the car every day and an hour commute, it could be a waste of time. But every day, I'd be listening to HBR online. Mm -hmm. So I'm always learning something, you know, and it's a quick and easy way to learn as opposed to just simply staring out the window. And then there were those other days when I had to manage my emotional energy and it was better turn off HBR and just look out the window and enjoy yeah. the beautiful sky or the fall leaves or whatever there is to enjoy. So you've done so many things, Dr. Williams, and I, I think of, you know, I'm, I'm sure you have, is, is there one specific moment or one specific thing that has happened that you feel, wow, that's, that, that's probably the one moment in my life that uh, uh, I feel like I've, I've really achieved something or that it just really impacted you personally? Well, you know, I think in my career, really the goal that I've had my whole life was to do something meaningful that makes a difference. And I will say flying in space was absolutely amazing. It was just an incredible experience. And of course, there's meaning associated with that when you look back at the planet and you understand the nature of the world that we live in. But arguably... I've had a huge amount of meaning in my life come from being a healthcare professional, both working as a doctor and working as a hospital CEO. And I remember one time when I was uh, working as a CEO, I got a call from one of the nurses and she said, uh, Dave, would you mind coming in tomorrow wearing your flight suit? And I said, sure, not a problem. Well, why is that? And she says, well, we have a young boy and he's a cancer patient who's in palliative care right now. And he wanted to meet an astronaut before he passes away. And could you make that happen? So I did. And I went and I spent 
spent four hours with this young boy. And it was amazing. Our, our lives kind of came together for this moment in time. And we were able to share stories and share our experiences and our passions and the things that he was interested in exploring space and my background as an astronaut. And I left after four hours and uh, bumped into his parents about a month later and he had passed away. And they talked about how important that four hour time period was for him and uh, how it really resonated with him. And to me, those are the moments that we all have an opportunity, not necessarily in that clinical environment, but it's really about the intersection between the past and the future is this present moment the eternity of this present moment and living in the moment, living with others and sharing our life experiences as best we can. I think it's really interesting that, um, you know, and, and I think that's the connection that a lot of people will take away is that, um, you know, it's, it's uh, part of being an astronaut and some of those things are, are fantastic, but the impact all of us can make and whether you're a leader or somebody else in, in a professional role or, um, you know, or just people kind of interacting with people thinking that uh, it's, it's the why you're doing it a lot of the time is so, so important. And, um, and maybe that's the, the one thing I will ask about from a leadership perspective, because you've done that in a hospital and I, I've, I've done work in hospitals as well. Um, and I, I know that that is the one thing that separates a lot of individuals there that work in those environments because they are often there for, for that other more intrinsic reason. Um, and maybe, you know, how have you, um, uh, how important has that been for you to be able to, to kind of help paint that picture? Like how, how as a leader, do you maybe tap, help people tap into the why in their organizations? Because if you're working in a place where it's maybe not um, life and death, the same way as it might be in a hospital, are, are there ways that you think that, um, you know, are, uh, a, a leader in another organization kind of help people tap into why they're there in a, maybe a different way other than just being on a, on an assembly line or something like that, uh, you know, how they can really find out the purpose of why they're there. Yes. So I think from my perspective, it's really all about meaning and creating a sense of importance and meaning that resonates with the whole team in the area that you're working in. Uh, you know, when I was working in healthcare, I was very passionate about trying to understand how we can motivate people to be their best because everybody does really want to be able to contribute and they, they do come into work hoping to be able to be their best and work effectively in the organization. Dan Pink has got an excellent book called Drive that talks about this. It autonomy, mastery, and purpose. And purpose is really all about meaning and the jobs that we're doing. But from a leadership perspective, understanding that it's tremendously motivating for teams to be able to give them the tools they need to do the job and then let them do the job, give them that autonomy to be able to do that. And that's actually quite fundamental in the space program. NASA has a tendency to hire the best of the best, train them to be even better, and then let them do what they're trained to do. And that's really a I think an important message for all of us in organizations, because sometimes it's very easy to step in and try and manage individuals and be directive in one's leadership style, but respecting the autonomy of individuals is uh, really, really important as well. Mastery recognizes that what we do sometimes is difficult to do and is quite complex to be able to do. And creating an environment of continuous learning that helps people be able to master what it is that you're expecting them to be able to do. And basically it's a two-way commitment. It's a commitment from the organization to build skills in the individual, but also a commitment from the individual to build their own skills with the tools the organization gives them, and also to be able to find whatever tools resonate. So podcasts work 
for some people, other people like reading magazines, some people like going to talks. So it's finding that and recognizing that we each have a role to play in developing our own skill. Meaning, I think meaning to a degree is defined by the individual. So some people may not find meaning working in healthcare. Other people would find meaning working in a different area. And that's fine. But it's important to come away from whatever it is that we do, feeling satisfied from that experience. And that's that deep sense of gratitude that I've, I've made a difference uh, on a day-to-day basis, I think, is something that's incredibly powerful as a motivator. Wow. Um- you know, you've worked in, um, yeah, I know you've, you've worked as an emergency doctor. And so, you know, that there are lots of people that listen that are, um, are maybe in emergency services and some of those things as well. Um, there is a, a there is a, a, a real importance to be able to toggle between directive leadership and more facilitative kind of leadership in, in those, um, types of, uh, things I, I think of, you know, police officers and, and, you know, if you're, you're coming into an emergency situation, there are, there is a role for very directive leadership. Um, how, how have you been able to kind of flex that skill about, you know, be toggling between, I guess, you know, when's the right time to use directive leadership and when's the right time to be really facilitative and maybe a little more empowering, I guess, from that end, uh, has that been, has that been easy? Has it been a struggle? And, and um, what's what have you done from your end to, to develop that? Yeah, well, let me first say, you know, as we're hopefully emerging from this pandemic, a huge uh, sense of gratitude and thanks and appreciation for healthcare professionals, all of the frontline workers across the board, not just in healthcare, but truly across the board that enabled us to be able to have continuity and supply chain and services during this pandemic, because uh, that was critical for us to be able to emerge and go forward. You know, I, I think there's a, when you talk about leadership, it's important to have a repertoire of leadership styles. A lot of times, you know, for me as a trauma team leader, I live in the world of directive leadership and, you know, working together in a team, you respect the capabilities of each member of the team, but basically you're like the orchestra conductor sort of saying, I need this, do this, do this, et cetera. That's directive leadership. And there's times when it's very successful and it needs to be done. And that's arguably in those emergent scenarios. But leaders in modern organizations have to have a breadth of leadership styles, visionary leadership styles, distributed leadership styles, uh, directive leadership styles are all critical. And you can read about these, but the challenge for each of us as a leader is to grow our repertoire of leadership styles and then choose the correct leadership style for the moment that we're in. And for the average leader, you tend not to be in an emergent situation every day on a day-to-day basis. So directive leadership is probably not where you should be living. You know, sometimes people like to resort to pace setting leadership saying, Oh, we got to raise the bar around here. That's a typical pace setting leadership style. And instead of resorting to the directive leadership and pace setting, which are kind of demotivating thinking about different leadership styles, coaching and mentoring as leadership styles, building those mentorship roles in organizations and creating learning organizations where ideation, coming up with new ideas, is actually welcomed. I think it's a tremendous opportunity. And is that um, ideation is a, a great um, you know, example because there are so many organizations that are trying to figure out how to do that really well right now. And um, uh, are there um, a couple of things that you've learned? Uh, NASA, I would assume that would be a big part of, of what had to happen while you were there. Is there, um, are there a couple of best practices that you, you see in being able to develop that and, and have it a little more free flowing than, than some organizations are experiencing today? 
Well, I, I think every organization that I talk to, and I, I get consulted a lot about leadership and team performance in various organizations, every organization says, we really want to be an agile organization. And then when you start looking at how do you manage ideas in the organization, if a good idea lasts a nanosecond, there's no way the organization is going to be agile. So great organizations that have resilience and agility have a process for managing new ideas. Of course, the name is ideation, but there's a process associated with this. And in the beginning, when you're coming up with new ideas, there's no such thing as a bad idea. And I think we've all been in teams where you're in quote brainstorming, somebody comes up with an idea that gets shot down right away. No, that's not the process of ideation. Ideation basically sits there and says, okay, Let's write down what we used to do is we write it on a little yellow sticky and you stick it on the wall, all these various ideas. So the first step is to come up with all these different ideas. The second step is to sort through the ideas and prioritize them into the ones that you think are going to be easy, relatively easy to implement. I actually have a slide where a person is standing there and the whole wall is covered with yellow stickies. We're moving them around because it's a continuous process of developing. Great organizations embrace ideation and discussion. And I think one of the the key elements of NASA that's so effective is getting people to speak up and to come forward and say, this is what I think. There's a book called Great Leaders Don't Take Yes for an Answer because you want that discussion. You want people to contribute and come up with these new ideas. So developing that process is critical to developing corporate agility and resilience. Wow. That's, I mean, that's, uh, to people listening, that's, that's worth the price of admission on the podcast so far to start with. That's, that's fantastic. To, they can, they can take that away. And and that's the one thing we like to do, uh, Dr. Williams is to, um, to have a couple of takeaways at the end here. And there, there have been lots of them already. So thank you very much for sharing so much, uh, um, with us. Um, the one thing that, uh, I know that a lot of people are struggling with is how to build that trust within their teams, because I, I think, as we mentioned earlier, it's, it's kind of the crux of being able to do all of those things and, and to be able to to be higher performing um do you have you know two or three kind of actionable um steps or or tips that that you would have to um you know help those whether it's leaders out there or people just trying to um, create more trust and accountability in their teams do you have a couple of uh, those tips they can take away so i think building trust in organizations comes from building trust between individuals and between teams. And sometimes it centers around the effectiveness of communication. In organizations, it's very easy not to say what's going wrong. Uh, sometimes people will sit there and they they tell the leader what they think the leader wants to hear. And for me as a leader, I say, don't tell me what you think I want to hear. Tell me what I need to know. And that's really more important. And for leaders, being able to effectively communicate where an organization is at, what the challenges are and the, the reality of a situation, there's nothing worse than having somebody come in who paints a very rosy picture when everybody in the organization knows that's not the way reality is. So, it comes from working together and communicating candidly and respectfully to be able to take on significant challenges and overcome these these challenges. In fact, in the 1960s at NASA, when they were bringing teams together, if you were an outsider, you would come to a meeting and you'd look at people. And sometimes the discussions got a little heated going, no, that's wrong. I think we should be doing it this way. And yet, as soon as it was over, everybody's going out for a beer together and they're best (laughs) friends and everything else. So it centers around the respectful discourse, that debate, the dialogue, 
dialogue that allows us all to get the best possible result and trusting each other to be able to bring your best to the situation and not going behind each other's back. You know, they come into a team meeting, you say one thing, and then you leave and you say something totally different. No, the commitment, the followership commitment is to have the courage to say to the team what needs to be said. And the team has to have the respect to listen to the individual and act on that information. But it's a continuous process. Building trust in an organization is day to day, minute by minute, takes years to build trust and a nanosecond to lose it. So focusing on trust is absolutely critical. Yeah, and and I love the the concept of followership. I think that's uh, that's a really important piece of of what you've said today. Um, you know, uh, uh, the one thing uh, people are listening, they probably want to know. Um, first of all, I I know that um, you have um, you know ways of being able to follow you and what's happening with you, uh, Dave. Um, and also, I, I think tap into some of those books that go into this in a little more detail. What are some of the best ways for people to be able to follow you and maybe find out kind of more about uh, those different um, resources that you have as well? Well, thanks for asking. I, I do have a website, and all you have to remember is Astro Dave MD, and you'll find my website. And I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn and all sorts of things. I, I'm actually having a lot of fun right now as a CEO of a biomedical tech startup company. So I'm keeping myself really busy. So my apologies if you send an email and you don't get an answer right away and things. But uh, the books I wrote, because often I get a lot of questions when I'm giving talks, and I thought, you know what, why don't we just write this all down in a book? that people can read about. And the Leadership Moments from NASA book, I really tried to delve into who are these people that made these incredible decisions, like George Lowe, who decided in August of 1968, we're going to send humans to the moon for the first time in history within six months. That was an absolutely unbelievable decision that had a fair amount of risk associated with it. But how did he do that? How did he go and find out from the team if they were ready or not and how to manage the risk? So exploring those individuals helped helps us learn from them how we can be better as team leaders as well. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for that. What we will do is we'll make sure those are all in the show notes as well. So if anyone listening um, missed that, um, it's nice and easy, though, that you do have the same thing across all the platforms, but we'll make sure it's in the show notes so people can click through to that. Um, if you haven't um, hit subscribe on the podcast, do that now. We have great people every week, just like uh, um, Astro Dave, <laughs> and uh, we'll make sure that uh, that you can uh, you know get connected with more people like this as well. But um, you know, first of all, uh, I, I know um, people are, have taken a lot away from today. Really appreciate that. And also the, the fact that uh, uh, I know you're very busy uh, in doing things and, and being able to take the time of your day to, to share some of your some of your journey and your, your tips with us are, have been fantastic. So thanks very much for joining us. Oh, Jamie, thanks so much for having me. And uh, the way I look at this is if in our conversation, we say one thing that influences one person listening, it's all worthwhile. And hopefully we've touched more than one individual. So thanks so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. All right. And thanks again. And to everybody else, we will talk again on Big Idea, Big Moves. Hit that subscribe button yet. Go on. You know you want to. Thanks for listening to the Big Idea, Big Moves podcast. Be sure to drop us a comment on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Instagram at bigidea underscore big moves. We love to hear your feedback. Till next time, remember, big change comes from small, consistent actions.